this morning will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, continuing our series in Corinthians of Be a Believer, Be a Believer. Uh, This morning's title is a little interesting. It says, God has set the members. And that word members means limbs, like body part. So just a refresher, especially because we haven't done Corinthians in a while. And hopefully we'll be finishing up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, But Corinthians was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth. And there was a saying to live like a Corinthian. That among their society, if you mention Corinth or to live like Corinthian, it meant a lifestyle that was wild, that was crazy, that didn't have any bounds or limits, that you just went and did as you wanted to do whatever felt good. You did it, and it was wicked. And we might even say something similar about a modern-day city of Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And Vegas is called Sin City. But Corinthians were a group of letters that were corrective letters. They were meant to correct the church in Corinthians. The church was there. The church existed. They met. They did things, but they did things that were wrong, too, And some of it was out of ignorance. Some of it was out of foolishness. Uh, And these letters are great. I remember reading them when I first became a Christian. It was just sitting on my bed at night with the lamp on and just reading them and soaking it up. I needed the instruction in righteousness. I did not know the things of God. And that's what these letters are for, to instruct in righteousness. And Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. To be ignorant means without knowledge about Israel, about the gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to begin to look at today in the next couple of studies, but also Jesus' return, that these three things are important for the believer's life to give us a proper worldview, to help us live properly in our day, and be ready for God's return. Because if we don't believe what God says about Israel, well, we're going to think different things geopolitically. We're not going to side with them. We're not going to understand the true picture of the gospel. If we don't understand the gifts or understand that God has gifts for us, we're going to live a life that's empty, right? We're not going to have all the fun toys, all the spiritual toys, so to speak, to play with throughout our life. Or his return, we're not going to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. We're not going to have the same hope that we do knowing that he's coming back. So Paul says to not be ignorant about those things. And just a reminder, the Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity. He's not the force like in Star Wars. He's not just some energy or thing that's out there he is a person part of the triune god and his work is para and an epi the greek words to come alongside people and draw them to jesus when we accept jesus to come inside us but then more than just to live inside us to fill us to overflowing to give us gifts and to use us for the kingdom and give us a life that's abundant jesus said and today we're going to look at the body so can you look at your body You know, when Sierra stands up and her feet are behind her, she's looking down like, where are my feet? I don't know where my feet went. This morning, Ash um, came up and gave me a hug and she said she loved me, thankfully. And I said, you boy, you must, because I just had seen myself in the mirror. I knew what I looked like. But I remember this as I was studying and bear with me that there was this show in the 80s. And I can show you a clip later if you want. It was called Slim Goodbody. And it was this scrawny guy, and he wore this tight outfit, but it had all the body organs on it. So instead of seeing him, you'd see a heart and lungs and intestines and bones. And it was a show about, that taught about health, about fitness and exercise. Um, it was weird, very weird. I remember seeing him as a kid going, this is weird. But it was memorable, right? It began to see that this person was not, not only just a person, but what's on the inside is all these organs and bones and muscles that move around. And how interesting it is that we're not just what we see on the outside, we're all these things on the inside. And so this morning, God, we pray that as you see the inside, man looks on the outside, but you look on the heart. God, would you prepare our hearts? God, would you change our hearts? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit, and uh, give us the gifts that we might serve you and know you better and really live that abundant life, God? But more than that, would we learn about the body? and love each other and care for each other just as the, we care for our own bodies. And we ask you, God, in Jesus' name, that you would be glorified. Amen. So let's read uh, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. It says, For as the body is one and has many members... 
But all the members of that, of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And we'll stop there. It says that there's this comparison here of the natural body and the body of Christ. Well, what's the body of Christ? Well, the body of Christ is his church. And God made both. That Adam, God formed out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into him. And Adam became animated. He came to life. That this dirt and collection of bones and muscle and sinew and organs that God had made was a dead body on the ground. And so God breathed into it. And then he became Adam and he went, whoa, look at all the animals. What are and he started running around and jumping and I don't know who knows what, right? But also God made the church, the body of Christ. This happened, he took the people out of the world, the dust of the earth. He took the disciples, he took Jews and Gentiles alike out of the earth and they were dead without him. And on the day of Pentecost, when they waited for him to revive them, to put his breath into them, 50 days after the resurrection, that the wind of God came. Remember, the wind of God came into the room and filled the room. And there were tongues of fire on each of them. That that life of God was given to them. That that fire, in some sense, represented the Holy, was the Holy Spirit and represented the life of God. That there was this fire and this light that could not be extinguished. And now they went out and did things. They were afraid to go out in public. They locked the doors. They hid themselves in their upper room until the Holy Spirit came. And then they went out. And then what happened? They were getting arrested, beaten, even killed. And they were excited about it. That's the difference between the dead life and the risen life. They understood heaven and the resurrection. I heard it said, and this was not by a believer, but they said, looking and talking about humans on earth and thinking about life in the universe, and I don't believe there's life anywhere else, I don't think the Bible teaches that either. We are special. But he says that we are the aliens. We're looking for alien life, but we are the aliens. Look at the way humans have lived on earth and have taken over the earth and have built things that no other creature on earth has done. Even as smart as some animals like dolphins and others are, look at all man has accomplished. And I say, yes, we are like the aliens here on earth because we are not like the monkeys. We are made in the image of God. We are like a heavenly being put on this planet to rule it. But we are not gods, right? We are his children if we believe in him. But Jesus, when he was resurrected, right? He had his physical body. He showed that to disciples by still eating, but he could go through the walls. He had this ability, this spiritual body that was not bound by creation anymore. He ascended. And when he ascended, his physical body went with him. You can look all around the earth. His bones aren't here. His body isn't here. Maybe they found his shawl, a burial thing. I don't know. But he sent his Holy Spirit to earth. So he sent his spirit to earth that desires a body to work through. And not that the Holy Spirit can't work without it. Remember N, Epi, and uh, Para, right? Para alongside. The Holy Spirit can work totally without us. But he also likes to use us as his body. So we are his body. And John 14, 12, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Greater works than Jesus? Well, yeah. How, how many years was he on earth? 33? How, how long was his ministry? Three years? He did, I've never walked up and made a, a lame man walk. Right? I've never made a blind man see, but Lord willing, that would be awesome. God, if that's how you want to use me, that would be fantastic. But he says greater works. And I think part of that greater is not just greater like miracle-wise, but greater in scope. That now instead of one body, we are many little bodies running around the whole earth for the past 2,000 years. In fact, the Romans called the believers Christians. Christians. You know what that means? It means little Christ. And it was meant to make fun of them. Like, look at these little Jesuses running around. Praying for people and ministering to people. It was meant to make fun of them. But that's exactly what we are. We are to be little Christs running around the earth doing greater things than he did as his body on earth. 
And the scripture says, baptized into one body, that we are all in one Christ. That when you became a believer, and I became a believer, and people in Africa and China and Japan throughout all of history became believers, we all became believers of the same body, Jesus' body. Remember like the song we sang, his body was broken for us. This is his blood poured out for us. It wasn't one body for them, one body for us. We all became the same body, his church. And in fact, Paul says, that the, what, what's up with the denominations? Why are you following this man or this man? We all follow Jesus, do we not? It says uh, that they drink into one spirit. And that word drink means to give drink, to water, to irrigate, to saturate one's mind. And when we became part of the body, our, our whole lives should be saturated. We should get our, our, our physical and spiritual thirst met by the things of God as his body. The things that Jesus would be interested in should naturally become the things that we are interested in. And Jesus must have, lo must have loved Formula One because I love Formula One, right? <laughs> no, but seriously, the things of God should be the things that we are interested in. And I love that the Bible even talks about every tribe, nation, and tongue will be in heaven. That it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from or what time period you're from. We're all one body and we'll all be together in heaven. As it says in John 4, Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to the Samaritan woman, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, living water, not just the water and apple juice that we drink here, but living water. John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, the Bible is the water of his word that it washes us, it nourishes us, it cleanses us. And as believers, as we drink the water, we should be drinking the water. We should let the water of God come in us. But as it comes in us, it should come out of us naturally as well too. Almost like the little baby, <laughs> Zierra, spitting back up. The water should come back up out of us, but in a more advertising way than just spitting up. And I think as a picture, when we first become believers, Sometimes it is like spitting it back up. It doesn't come out in the way. And people, we're sharing the gospel and people hear, go, ugh, <laughs> you know? But we're sincerely just sharing what we have eaten, what we have drank. And as you become older and believer, uh, older as a believer, more mature and a believer, hopefully that word still comes out of us and still ekes out of us, but comes out in a more pleasant way. Let's go on. We'll read verses 14 through 19. Paul says, For in fact, the body is not one member or one part or one limb, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. I think this is the key verse for what we're looking at today. I'm going to read it again, and we'll read one more verse. It says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? In fact, Paul says, the body is not one member, but many. That it's a fact. It's science. That there are different cells for each part of your body. There are eye cells. There are smelling cells. There are stomach cells. There are leg cells. In fact, there are these stem cells that your body makes that can turn into any of the other cells that can come and heal. And it's amazing things. In fact, uh, we're still discovering new organs, new parts of the body. That there's membrane of tissues in the body that were that we knew were there, but we didn't quite knew what they did. And they, the way that I, I'd have to look up the name. I didn't look it up. I apologize. But it's all throughout, like your organs and your gut and your uh, your core, and it acts as an organ. It's like between all the organs and it connects them all. Even your skin is an organ. Your skin has many functions. And we have one cell when we were conceived. And that cell split, and those two cells split, and so on and so on. And they began to, to, to find their roles based on the DNA and become all the parts of us. That even a couple weeks old in, the, in mommy's little belly, 
is a baby that has all the little parts that will grow into the others. And that's where the dangers of comparison come in. The dangers of comparison. You know, walking on your hands is quite the feat. That's a pun. I didn't intend it, but it is. Someone who walk on their hands, they walk around. That's pretty amazing that they can do it. We all stand back and go, wow, yay. Pull out our phone and video it and it goes viral. Someone walking on their hands, right? Because it's amazing because it's not natural for us. It's not natural to walk on your hands. It's upside down. It's funny. It's a skill that's not normally there. Your hands are not made for walking. Your feet are. That's another proof we're not monkeys. Monkeys' bodies are, their arms are different and longer and they walk different. For us, it's uncomfortable. Or if you look at the eye, there's something called irreducible complexity. Take away one part of your eye or change one part a little bit and it stops working. You get glaucoma and stuff happens with the retina. You stop seeing. You get uh, cataracts where the lens fogs over and you can't see. Thankfully, we have surgeries and treatments for these things. But how many people went blind in the past? Or how many times in the past that someone just broke a simple thing like a broken leg and couldn't go to the hospital and get it fixed and they limped for the rest of their life, right? But the eye is irreducible complexity. There's not like one little part of the eye that could eventually just evolve. It didn't work before. It has to have all the members. It's so complex, just like your camera. You take one little part off, it doesn't work anymore. That's the same thing with so many parts of our body. In fact, our entire body. And one deeper thing, this is the same thing for the universe. There's something called the universal constants. I believe there's something around 32 of them. Gravity being one. Weak and strong nuclear force. If you imagine there's all little adjustment knobs on a soundboard. I remember doing the soundboard back in New York. All little knobs that change the volume and tone and pitch. But if you tweak one of those little ones, the sound gets way off. And the same thing in the universe. If you just change gravity a little bit, everything falls apart. If you just change weak nuclear force, all of a sudden atoms can't exist anymore. That there's always little things that couldn't have just happened. They're all set exactly the way they need to be to work together for the entire universe to work together. You pull one thread out, they all fall apart. Birth defects. It's sad. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking when you see a little baby who's missing an arm. Or they have their heart inside out. And you'll see some amazing stories of folks who have done amazing things. People have become Olympic athletes and they don't have limbs. People who, I don't know how they get through the day, but they figured it out. Or even, it's amazing, someone who's blind, right? I've been told and understand that their hearing gets better. That the, all the energy that they put into thinking and processing sight doesn't have to go there and it goes into the hearing and they can hear things and touch. Like in the movie Dunkirk, when the old man, when they're getting off the, the boats, touches his face. That when they touch your face, they can see your expression. They can see what you look like by touching your face or reading with their fingers. That God's amazing design is somehow able to cope in some sense with the loss. But I'm sure... They'd all love to have their sight back. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there's some that have really made some deep and profound things in, in their disability, so to speak. You know, you look at some folks who have mental retardation. And they don't have the same mental faculties as the rest or the abilities. But you know what? They're more loving. They're more kind. They're more gentle than some geniuses out there. Right? So, uh, who's the really the disabled one? So, the one who can't do advanced math but loves or the one who can do advanced business and doesn't love his own children who's really disabled there but I go on that comparing what one part does to another isn't logical it doesn't make sense it isn't a sound practice a foot is designed to walk to kick a soccer ball to run to ski a hand it's designed to manipulate. The word manipulate comes from manu in Latin, hand, manus. It's a vast array of things. You can grab, you can punch, you can draw, you can play an instrument. Someone's playing an instrument with their feet. It's pretty amazing, but it's not 
what the instruments are designed for. They're designed for fingers, like a guitar. They're also there to hold someone close. Someone wants to give you a hug with their feet. You just go, ah, <laughs> stinky feet. And yet, what do we often do? We compare ourselves to each other. And I think that that comes down to not realizing or maybe just forgetting that we too are like the body. We individually are designed and set apart to be holy for a specific purpose. We look at someone else and we want to fit into their shoes. Oh, wouldn't it be great to be her? Why can't I be more like him? We want to fit into their way of doing things. And yet we don't see how destroyed their life is. We don't see the sacrifices that they've made. And it just doesn't work. It just isn't natural. Kids go through phases growing up in high school. You go through fads and trends. And you'll see one kid who looked totally normal one week. The next week, they, they're wearing all black. They have awful eye makeup and chains and piercings. Who are they trying to be? They weren't like that last week. They saw something and they said, I'm not happy being me. I need to look like that. And part of that's trying to discover who you are. But the same part, I think a lot of it is thinking that you're not good enough for who you are. It's just not natural. In fact, there were other times there was a word called you're a poser, right? Someone who pretended to be something that they were not. Like, you're faking it, man. You're not a skateboard. You got all the new skateboard clothes because your mom took you to the mall, but you don't skateboard. You're fake. And that's the same thing with us. We put on clothes. We put on stuff that's just not us. And sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it's disgusting. Sometimes it's abhorrent. And other times it's a little more subtle. And it takes years to figure out that, no, this is not who I need to be. I've been trying to be something that I'm not. And instead, we, especially as believers, should seek to find out which part of the body we are. And we'll see that more as we get into the gifts and, and love and things in the next couple of weeks. But we should learn to find joy in being who God has made us to be, not who we want us to be. God has a plan for us. God made us. Just like God made Adam in the garden and Eve as well, He made you and me. I can remember coming uh, to Jesus and shedding all of my old ways, all my old habits, all my old interests, not sure what was right and wrong, so let me just, it's better just to get rid of it all and start fresh and be a blank slate for God. And I was looking to those around me, which was good. There was people, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I began to look to other people to try and follow. But I didn't know who I was yet in the Lord. And so I began to dress like certain ways, try and act like certain ways. And it didn't always kind of fit. I remember going to the Christian bookstore on the way home from work in New York and stopping in and buying music all the time. And I would just buy anything that looked interesting and listen to it for a while and see if I liked it. A lot of it I didn't like, some of it I liked. and Because it's just, I didn't know what I liked yet as a believer. I was a new baby. I was, put, I was putting everything in my mouth and seeing what it tastes like, right? And it took a while to find out that God was making me to be me. I didn't have to dress like everyone else. Sure, I needed to be holy. and needed to look to others for leadership and encouragement. But it didn't need to be an exact copy of somebody else because that's not who God made me to be. If I didn't like everything they liked, that was okay. If I didn't want to do everything they did, that was okay. If I thought something different about Scripture, as long as it wasn't a, totally abhorrent, that was okay. Because God made me to be me and God made you to be you. But He made us to be ourselves individually together. And imagine if the body was all one part. It wouldn't work, Paul says. Imagine if they were all ears. How would you eat pizza? Imagine if it was all eyes. How would you hear the movie? Imagine if it was all feet. It would be stinky. That there needs to be differentiation in the body, difference of parts, and there needs to be specialization, special roles. The same thing is not just true for the body. It's the same thing for the family. It's the same thing in a job. It's the same thing in society. In my job, if 
we're not listening to the boss or we're all trying to do the same thing and the the accounting doesn't need to do it doesn't do what it does and the design team doesn't do what it does and the dev team doesn't do what it does it doesn't work we need to trust each other to do our different roles to make the best work it's the same thing in a family there's a role for a father there's a role for a mother there's a role for the children same thing in society, that there's a role for the family, that society is built on family. If the family is unhealthy, society can't survive, and we're seeing that. But one of the benefits of a healthy society or a healthy family or a healthy workplace is that it frees up people from the pursuit of surviving and can pursue advances in medicine, science, sports, technology, education, whatever. If you and I are worried all day about where our next meal comes from, how much time are we really going to spend having fun playing video games? How much time are we going to spend pursuing technology and space travel? None. Because we don't know where our next meal comes from. If we're spending all our day farming, well, the magic of modern society is that there's a group of people who want to farm and can farm and do it well, and they do it well by choice, and they provide the food for the rest of us, while someone else says, okay, well, then I, while you farm, I'm going to go build a better tractor for you. And builds a better tractor and they can farm better. And okay, someone says, well, you fed me. Now I'm going to invent medicine. So when we break our legs, we know how to fix them. That there's this differentiation, separation, and freedom that comes when every part does its job. But that doesn't, it doesn't just happen magically. If no one wants to work, if you break down the rules of society, if you change things too much, it all falls apart, and then guess what? We're all scrambling to survive, except none of us know how to survive anymore. The doctors don't know how to farm, right? And it turns into a nightmare. And I pray that that doesn't fully happen, but I'm afraid it might. But so it should be in our family and the church as well. Now, there should be differentiation and separation within the body. Acts 6 says this, verses 1 through 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were uh, Jews who grew up in Greek society. Helen uh, was a word for Greek. Uh, because their widows were neglected at the daily distribution. Uh, so these widows weren't getting fed properly by a church. They weren't being really taken care of. And so they start complaining. So then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That there was a problem in the church. There was a need to be met. And was it the apostles' responsibility to then go hand out the bread? Well, they could have done it, but if the apostles, whose role it was, was to study the word of God, to preach the word of God. They were the ones who had, had been around Jesus. They were the first-hand eyewitness account of it. They were the authority. If they were doing that, who would have been studying the Bible? Who would have been teaching if the pastor was out feeding the homeless? Right? Not that the pastor shouldn't ever do that. Not that the pastor can't ever do that. Said, no, 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 that's beneath me. But that's not the point. They're saying that our role in the spirit is to lead the church. Our role in the Spirit is to pray for the church and to study the Bible and divide the word of truth rightly. And so what did they do? They found other people. But they didn't just find other people. They found seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit. This is a whole other message. That feeding those tables, feeding those widows, and feeding the church the word of God were both important roles, were both important jobs. Both require just as much Holy Spirit to do it effectively, to do it rightly, and to do it God's way. But it required people who are called to those roles to do it. The, the, uh, the deacons to wait the tables and the apostles to lead the church. It would have been mixed up and backwards otherwise. And you know what happened when they did this proper differentiation of role and duty? 
It caused the word of God to spread. That this thing was preventing the word of God from going out. And they got, how is not feeding the, the women, the older women, not letting the word of God to spread? Well, I don't know practically, but spiritually, it's not loving each other, not doing the role of the body. But also on this one unrelated issue, seemingly, yeah, they fixed that, they organized the church parlor, and the word of God went out strongly. That's the result of all this. Is that when we do things in the right way, in the right order, the right thing comes out of it. It bears much fruit. Verse 18 says that God has set the members just as he pleased. That God decided this. God knew what he was doing when he made you in your mother's belly. God knew that he would make you a certain way and he had certain plans for you. And it pleased him. It pleased him to put you in this city, in this town, in this job, in this family, in this body. Even if you had birth defects, that somehow God allowed that for you because he had a plan and a purpose for you and you alone in it. And just as he pleased, not that he pleased to cause you to suffer, but it pleased him that you might know him through it. Because remember, it's God who made you. God made you to be a specific part. He didn't spend all that time crafting you for nothing. He didn't just blob you together and throw you into the wild. No, he crafted you and formed you, knows every hair on your head, and he has a purpose for you. If you spend a lot of time building a Lego or making a hobby or making a piece of art or doing whatever it is you do, do you want it to be used in a wrong way? You know, Alicia drew me this picture last week. It was so beautiful. It was on my desk. And I, I, I put my plate on it, and I didn't feel right about it. I'm like, no, no, no. This is a very special piece of art. I do not want it to get ruined. She made that for me. I don't even want to leave a plate there. Just ruin it. Because it was special. She didn't make me a, a, a placemat. She made me a picture because she loved me. That's the same thing with God. He didn't. If he made you to be a placemat, he's because... He intended you to be a placemat, right? If he intended you to be something, right? Like the Bible talks about vessels of honor and dishonor. We won't get into it for time, but there are some people who like, end up being vessels of honor. You end up being a vase for flowers or a cookie jar. And others who end up being a toilet or a clogged drain, <laughs> right? Like it's, but there's a purpose in it. And it doesn't mean that we don't use our foot to scratch our legs sometimes, right? Or sometimes a hand helps to rub your eyes in the morning to help the eyes see. But there's no burden on you to come up with a way to see when you're a hand. You know, as, as a husband and my, my family, it's my duty to lead. It's my duty to protect. It's not my wife's duty to figure out where to go and what to do. Certain she's going to have insight into that. Certainly she's going to, her role is to help me figure that out. It's been said that the wife is the neck that turns the head, so to speak. But sincerely, it's my burden. It's my responsibility to lead the family. And it's sad when the family breaks down and the wife has to step up. It's even sadder when the church breaks down and it's led by women because the men aren't doing it. Not that they're not doing it out of a heart to serve God and trying to do something when I don't know, but where are the men? It's the men are supposed to be doing that. Why, why are you making the, the wife take out the trash, so to speak? Not that she can't, but it's the, the guy's job to do it. Except for you, Mia, on Thursdays because you're strong enough to carry the trash can. <laughs> children is a different story. All the children equally take out the trash. But sincerely, just like that with the church, it's the lead pastor's job to be at the front of the boat, taking the brunt of the waves, while the rest of us are in the back, staying dry. But again, it's physically impossible for the hand to be an eye. Sometimes we think it can be a foot, right? Like walking on our hands, but it, it can't be. Same thing with the ear. There's no way for an ear, no matter what it does, an ear will never see a thing. The eye will never hear a thing. Tongue, the tongue and nose are kind of related. Sense and smell is kind of related, right? But a knee will never taste a pizza. It doesn't work that way. It's physically impossible. And unfortunately, we see a lot of that going on in the world today. People trying to be something that they can never be. 
no matter what they do, no matter what surgery they get, they'll never be what they're trying to be. Because what they're really doing is running away from who they really are and who God made them to be. And really, a lot of it's rebellion to what God has designed. And people take on roles that clearly aren't for them. Sometimes you see people in a job or in leadership or in government and you go, well, they certainly didn't get there by how good they were. <laughs> they, you know, the longer you're around business, you realize there's people in roles like you don't know why they're the boss because they don't know what they're doing. Not my boss if he's listening. But God designed the body. God designed the family. And God designed the church. And it only works if we let them work the way he designed them to work. I'll say that again. It only works if we let them work the way he designed them to work. If we don't let our bodies work the way that God had intended, it doesn't work. If we don't let the family operate in the roles that God had made for it, it doesn't work. If we don't let the church operate the way God has designed it, if we don't seek to be the right, fill our roles in each of those, it doesn't work. And the word of God doesn't spread. So where would the body be? If it was just a collection of ears, or just a collection like we joked around of having all of our kids' teeth, baby teeth, and making a necklace, and how funny and creepy that would be. But it's not their body. If it was all teeth, I can't reconstruct my children out of them. There's no body. It's just this weird monster that you'd run away from if you ran into it in the daytime, let alone at night. And really, where is the body of Christ today? In the last days? Well, Laodicea. It's weak. It's distracted. It's lukewarm. But take heart. There's also the Philadelphian church in the last days. You might even argue that the Laodicean church is, I don't know. But Philadelphian church is one of brotherly love, loving one another, that they're weak, but their message goes far. And that's how the body should be loving one another. And let's go on and read the last chunk that we're going to look at today. Verse 20 says, and now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Remember we just saw before, the hands were like upset that it wasn't an eye. Like, I wish I could be an eye, but I can't be an eye. And now we're seeing the opposite. The eye going, I don't need the other parts. The first part was the parts wanting to be another part. And now the part is prideful and doesn't want the other part. I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, feet. No, much rather, these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there, be sh there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And we'll stop there for today. Indeed, there are many body parts, Paul says. You know, inside your body, there's 206 bones. You're full of bones. You're a bag of bones. A meat sack, as they say. But a healthy church has many different members, many different ages, many different amounts of money in the bank, many different social statuses, intelligence, men and women, musicians and thinkers, doers and organizers, helpers and leaders, that there's true diversity, not for some quota, we need 10 women on the board, but a good cross-section of the area in which it thrives, right? And this happens when the word of God spreads. This happens when the members of the body step up and do what they're called to do, especially men to lead. We saw this a lot in New York, that the body was full of all different ages, all different races of the area. You know, I believe there's only one race, but you know there was people of different nationalities of the area and colors. and We had all sorts of people that were there, construction workers and musicians. That's because the Word of God went out and we were a body. But imagine an eye saying it doesn't need the face. Face, I don't need you. What would it be? Just an eyeball? Pop around? It would be horrific. Of course you need the face, eye. You got, you need the, how could the eye look around or move without the head, right? You need, the, you need it. Or it doesn't need the feet. The eye would be able to see, but it wouldn't be able to go. 
Or the reverse, the feet could go, but they'd have no idea where they were going. Or if it was going to stub itself or fall off a cliff. The eye needs the feet, and the feet need the eyes. And sadly, I think the more we think about this, is this not a huge plague within Christianity today? We're so caught up in one thing and we neglect the rest, even in the things of God. Matthew 23, Jesus says, 23 and 24, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should have done the first things without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That we get it twisted. We think the parts that get more honor are more honorable. We cover up our bodies. Our bodies, the parts that we cover the most, especially at the beach, they are our private areas. They are less honorable. They are unpresentable. Sometimes, you know, I wear clothes because you don't want to see what my body looks like. It is not something presentable. And unfortunately, people think that when their body is turned into something presentable that they need to show it to the whole world. But our hands, our feet, our face can be bare. There's no problem unless those bare feet go on the coffee table, right? But God gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. That's something to think about. That intrinsically, our private parts, the parts we cover, have no honor. But God gives honor to them and we cover them. That's the same thing in the church. We look at those who are up on the stage singing or teaching and somehow we give them more honor when in fact it's probably the grandma in the back who nobody notices, who prays all the time for many hours a week for people in the church. That really in God's eyes, she has the most honor, but she hasn't received any honor in the church. Or the poor man who cleans the toilets and he cares for the children and children's ministry. But maybe the senior pastor gets all the love and attention, but he doesn't really love the body. A healthy body recognizes the parts and puts proper honor on each. You don't put your underwear on your head. You put it in its right place. You put socks on your feet, unless you're doing hand puppets, right? There's a proper order and a proper thing. And, and we notice right away when something's not proper, oh, why are they dressed like that? Why? And even if you look between people who are dressed two different ways, immodestly and modestly, it could be the same person with two different outfits on, that there's automatically there's a different respect that goes out, a different thinking about what that person is and what their value is, what's important about them by how they dress and present themselves. And a healthy body recognizes these parts and puts proper honor on each. And those who are doing a good job, not to negate the senior pastor, they deserve honor and respect and pay. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 19 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. That the pastor who's working hard, loving the body, teaching the Bible faithfully, he deserves all the honor you can give him. He deserves the, the biggest paycheck the church can afford to give him. Why? Because he's serving God. He's not serving mammon. And God will bless you. Hebrews 13, 17. You know, there's not a, there's not a vow of poverty within the, the ministry, although we should, expect, we should not expect to be rich. Hebrews 13, 17 says, I like this one, Obey those who rule over you in the church, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Man, there's nothing worse than being in ministry and someone who's just a troublemaker. Being at work and someone who just isn't reliable. It's the worst. Like, if they were just reliable, they were just weren't causing trouble, you'd probably give them a raise. And I like the one for church. It's like, man, do you really want to give them extra grief? Don't they have enough trouble all day that you want to cause the leadership extra trouble? Like, just help them out. Help them serve the Lord. Why? Because they watch out for your souls. They're praying for you. They're teaching you. They're watching out for you. They're speaking into your life. They want to help you. And there should be no schism in the body. And I like this word. It actually means like rent, like when they would tear their clothes when they were in grief. There should be no tearing of the body, dissension in the body. The leg should not be cut off. 
And the Holy Spirit is grieved by this, just like that word means of tearing of the body. That we are all in Jesus. And if God's Spirit is within our body, within our body individually, but within our body collectively as the church, if we're not loving each other, that grieves Him. That's not just our church, though. It's also our denomination if we're a part of one. Or even the whole body who are out of our denomination. They're a part of the body, too, just as much as we are. Maybe they're the hand denomination and we're the foot denomination. You know, Behind our pulpit's a foot, behind their pulpit's a hand. But it's all the body of Christ. Why do we not love each other? We don't have to agree on everything. The foot and the hand don't have to agree to wear the same thing. The hand wears a glove, the foot wears a boot. And to not have grace for each other, I think is short-sighted at best and blind at worst. That we need to love each other no matter what true church we go to. And we can agree to disagree on the other things. And as we close here, when one member hurts, when you stub your toe, what does the rest of your body do? Oh, oh, oh. Your whole body stops and pays attention to that little tiny pinky toe. Do we ignore it and go, you know, sometimes we go, oh, and grit our teeth. Is that the way it should be? You know, when we hear someone fall in the other room in our home, we go, are you okay? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Or no, help me, I need a Band-Aid. It was me when I was doing work upstairs this weekend, building a wall. My hands kept getting cut. I'd be like, gosh, I need a (laughs) Band-Aid. And the church should do the same. It shouldn't have to be forced. It shouldn't be, hey, Joe is hurting. Can we please get together a group of people to go see him? No. Oh, Joe's hurting? Let me call him up. Let me go over his house. Let me be there for him. A sickness, a grief, a need. In New York, we were always moving. Not just me. I moved a lot. But everybody was always helping somebody move. (laughs) There was always a need, and we were always naturally just showing up and doing it because it was the body. I'm going to read a couple verses and close out here. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may that we may be able to comfort others who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's what the body does. We receive comfort from God, and we go comfort somebody else in the body with that. Romans twelve nine through sixteen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Oh, you want to go see that movie? Sure, I'll go see that movie with you. Oh, you'd rather play this board game? Okay, I can play that board game. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what the body is. When one part of the body hurts, we, we hurt with them. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I think it's the best part about church. It brings people together who are poor and rich, and they can both fellowship together, maybe even meet each other's needs. But when one part of the body is lifted up, we should rejoice with them. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. That Just because we're collectively the body of Jesus doesn't mean that we're not individually important. And that's the problem with modern society and communism, among other things, is that it, it, it seeks the... There's a saying, uh, for, what is it? The sacrifice the needs of the few for the good of the many. I forget exactly what it is. I'm glad it's falling out of my head. But basically, it's like, it's more important that the many profit than the one. And that's not true. It's important that each individual profits, and that will bless the many. The body is not complete without all its parts, and one part is not more important than another in Jesus' body. Can we live without our arm? Sure. But is it good? Is it best? Is it ideal? No. We can't live without a heart, though. We can't live without our Holy Spirit. We can't live without the head. Because the head of Christ's body, it's not you or me. It's not one church or another church. It's not a pastor. It is Christ. The head of the body is Christ. That where Christ wants to go, where Christ is looking, that's where we go. 
what Jesus is thinking about, that's what the body is about accomplishing. That we are his body. We are not making the decisions where we go. We are not making the spiritual decisions. We are simply taking orders from our spiritual head. Just as my hand just does what I want it to do without even thinking about it, right? I just do this because I just automatically do this. It's what my brain wants to do. Is what I want to do. Same thing with us. If my hand starts saying, I'm not going to do that, there's a problem. When your body starts not working right, that's an illness. So when Jesus says to go, we should go. When Jesus says to love, we should love. When Jesus says to stay away, we should stay away and not be burned. And one last verse, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let's not live without our head, guys. Let's not live without our heart. Let's not live without our hands. Let's treat each other as we should, as individual members of Christ's body, that we don't have to look like each other. We don't have to act like each other. That you can be funny. They can be smart and boring. And we're just as equally as special and important to the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. So God, would you help us? God, would you be our head? Forgive us where we've been disobedient. Forgive us where we rebel and give you a hard time. God, help us just to naturally just obey. As soon as you're thinking it, we're going. You, we don't even need you to say, son, daughter, go do that. We just go and do it automatically because we know it's your will. Just like my hands just automatically move. I don't need to say hand move. My hand just moves. God, let that be us by your spirit. Uh, bless your church. Bless the body. Bless all the denominations. May they come to know you deeply and truly and serve your word. And where they've gone wrong, I know that you've got corrective word for that. And where we go wrong, I know you've got corrective word for us as well. So let us all seek you and your kingdom first. And all these things will be added to you. So God, we ask these things in your name. Let your word go forth. And bless the people who are hurting this morning. Care for them. Meet their needs. In Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you. And his face shine upon you. Amen. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.